0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Kriya Yoga Podcast. In these next three episodes, we are going to take some time to consider how to harmonize and empower your spiritual and worldly intentions for the coming year. I've taken excerpts from a workshop I did about a year ago um, for the Patreon and Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship students, and I turned them into this three-part series. Over the next several weeks, take time to listen to and review the material in this podcast. Engage in the meditations and classwork. This can help you move forward with your spiritual life and empower it to be in harmony with your everyday existence. The topics covered in this three-part series include the spiritual process of intention setting, ways to recognize a worldly life in harmony with spiritual ideals, how to successfully realize your intentions in a step-by-step fashion, and the power of faith and surrender when cooperating with divine will. I'd like to give special thanks to our two-year Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship students and the Journal of a Kriya Yoga Teacher Patreon members. Your support makes the extent of this teaching ministry possible. If you would like to join our two-year apprenticeship program, please visit KriyaYogaOnline.com to review the process. Also at KriyaYogaOnline.com, you can follow our blog so that you can stay up to date on our upcoming retreats and classes. And if you're looking for more information or inspiration on your Kriya Yoga Path, you can find a selection of books that I've written at kriyayogaonline.com. The latest, which is a preparatory guide for Kriya initiates, is now available on Amazon and Hardback, an essential guide to Kriya Yoga practice. So without further delay, let's dive right into the first section of three of this podcast series. Um, Dealing with Harmonizing and Empowering Your Spiritual and Worldly Intentions for the New Year. Let's get started with the Harmonizing and Empowering Your Spiritual and Worldly Intentions for the New Year. Um, This is always a great thing to do as you get into the new year, because what a lot of people don't recognize is that Uh, What you think about, how you think about your life, what you do, where you put your energy and your intentions and how you plan tends to affect what experiences you get in life. Now, we don't want to confuse this with any ideas like creative imagination or magic or being able to control your destiny and your fate, because I don't believe in any of those things. But there is one thing that I have noticed is that we live in a big universe, and there are oftentimes more opportunities than we are aware of. And sometimes simply choosing to go in a different direction or to think differently. helps us to tap into those possibilities. So while I don't believe in our ability to ultimately control our destiny or that if we just use our minds perfectly, everything would work out great all the time and those types of things, I do and have experienced the fact that there are all kinds of possibilities in this world, in this life experience that we have and that if we understood how to experience those possibilities, the likelihood of doing so dramatically rises. So I'm more about possibilities and potentials than I am certainties, because um, you're gonna find the longer you live that there are very few things that are 100% certain in this world. Now, the topic of this discussion um, is harmonizing, harmonizing and empowering your spiritual and worldly intentions, harmonizing and empowering your spiritual and worldly intentions. There's another thing that I don't believe. And that is the fact that there is a separation between spirit and what's going on. Uh, Everything is connected. Everything is part of the whole. We have the material world, where we have the five elements, where we have emotions and we have uh, physical things, and we have um, the energies that move through us. And we have more subtler realities, which you could call astral or causal realms. And we have access to those. And in fact, we are we are always interacting with those. It's just that we are oftentimes less conscious of it. So I don't like to promote the idea that there is a separation between your, your experience now and a, a spiritual state or a spiritual reality. In my mind, they are all the same. They're all the same. We just have to learn how to experience the finer realities to navigate those finer realities while also learning to do the hard work in this physical reality to make things happen or to allow for other possibilities or opportunities to become present within our experience. So to harmonize your spiritual and worldly intentions simply means this it means that you are acknowledging that you are a spiritual being which you are at at the end of the day you are pure spirit plain and simple all this other stuff your personality your car your house your relationships all that's going to pass away eventually it is it is a a um a expression of a part of your soul nature, but that's not what's going to last. It is a part of it though. Much like when we think about what exists on this earth, the plants and the animals, for example, well, what are plants and animals really made out of? Where do plants and animals come from? They come from the earth and the sun and the air and the atmosphere So our bodies, our plants, our animals, our experiences are really just temporary holding together of the earth element, of the air element, of the the fire from the sun. And then of course, when it's time to pass, the body decomposes and all those elements go back into the earth. The energy goes back into the universe. The breath goes back into the atmosphere. So you see, there is no separation there. It's just part of a process. Now, from a yoga standpoint, and since you all are tuning in either from the Patreon community or the Cree Yoga Apprenticeship group, um, or because you're aware of this through the create Yoga online website, you're all here because you have an interest in yoga and Yoga specifically. So we do have to take a moment to acknowledge Uh, The purpose of human life, and this is from a yogic theory, the purpose of human life is to wake up, to be free to know what we truly are permanently, the soul nature, the spirit, to know what that is, to experience that completely. That's the whole point of human life. Yogic texts state that. Sri Yukteswar emphasizes that in the holy science. Uh, My teacher, Mr. Davis, a student of Paramahansa Yogananda, always put this emphasis that the most important thing is is actualizing the the truth of our soul, of our spirit, of our, our eternal nature. And that means in order for us to live well, that has to be our highest aim and our highest priority, which means everything else takes a back seat to that, which means we live our life such that every activity for the most part is either infused with that knowledge of spirit or is for the purpose to realize that experience. Now, some people misinterpret that, and they think that they have to give up everything, give up their relationships, give up their desires, give up those things that they enjoy. But if that was the case, then every human being would be born the same. There'd be no unique expression and there would be no changes through time. There would be no uh, changes within within the culture. There would be no development of, of human consciousness. And so one of the things that we need to learn to accept is, first of all, what is the purpose of our life? And then commit to admit, take that great vow that that is how we're going to live. And remember, if you're, if you're not familiar already, you can review this. Um, In the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the yamas and the niyamas, these are considered to be the great vow that we take in this life. And there's a reason for it, that we take this vow. Uh, One of them is uh, brahmacharya, which many people misinterpret to be celibacy. But what is celibacy? Celibacy is really saving yourself for something else. So from the spiritual perspective, brahmacharya means doing everything for the infinite, for the realization of spirit. So you essentially start to shift your viewpoint so that you see life from that. And every time you make a decision, you think back, well, does this contribute to supporting that realization that understanding that way of being just like when you're in a a healthy, loving relationship, um, you make choices that keep that healthy, loving relationship, healthy and loving. Um, If you're younger and your hormones are going crazy and you start having thoughts about other people, well- you've committed to this relationship. So you rise above those hormones and you rise above all the drama that you see on your soap operas and TV, like you just need to find the right one. And you, if you're in a healthy, loving relationship, you then say, no, let's get rid of those thoughts. They are not supportive of this. They're not contributing to that great vow of celibacy towards my loved one, my beloved. And so the same thing is true when it comes to the yogic path or to your devotion to God or divine or the infinite you have to ask yourself quite frequently sometimes, um, does this support my commitment to waking up? Does this support my commitment to being a yogi? When I was younger, I used to think you could have it both ways, but you can't, (laughs) you can't. Just like you can't be in a a healthy, loving relationship, uh, you know, and you haven't agreed to be, um, What do they call that, Uh, polyamorous? And think you're going to get away with being polyamorous? You you can't do it. It's not going to work. So this is often also why um, the spiritual path and some mystical traditions are spoken of as like a divine romance. That's exactly why it's it's spoken of to be a divine romance. Now, what is what is a fallacy that comes from people like me and others who have been extremists uh, early on? That fallacy is. Well, then life is going to be boring and a drag, and um, you can't enjoy what's here. That's that's the fallacy that comes up. And that is absolutely not true. Because while we are meant to fully wake up, there's a reason that we have flowers in the world. There's a reason that we have sweet flowers. Fruits in the world. There's a reason that there are songbirds. There's a reason that humans have the capacity to make beautiful things, to um, sustain beautiful things, to encourage love within the world. There's a reason for it. Uh, And that's because the divine wants to express in those ways, in those loving ways, in those creative ways, in those healthy, loving, creative ways. So part of what I want to encourage us to do today is definitely recommit to our spiritual path if we need to. And we'll talk about that and, and, and recognize what are, what do we need to sacrifice for that and sacrifice in a way that you would, you would, you would happily sacrifice it. You know, you're, you're willing to sacrifice it. And how can we start to see that we as expressions of this infinite divine creative potential, um, how can we let that out in such a way that it supports our spiritual practice, that supports our realization, that removes that misconception that there is a... um, separation between spirit between spirit and nature, to say it uh, straightforward as possible. Now, what's the first thing we need to do to consider? And I wanna encourage you, if you haven't already, to take a moment to find yourself a pen and some paper or a pencil and some paper, or if you're on your computer, pull up um, your, word process, your word processor so you can start typing as we go, taking notes or, or writing down your brainstorms and your ideas. Um, that way you'll have a document to kind of see what your intentions are and how to uh, expand upon that as the year goes on. Well, I want to give an example from my life. So it took me a few decades to get to this point, but um, it was well worth it. Um, in my life, I've realized that there, there's, there, there's only so many hours in a day. And there's only so many things that I can do and accomplish. And I focus on those main themes that are most important in my life. And if I have time left over, then I focus on other things. So in in my own life, and I'm just sharing this as an example, not for you to mimic me, because our our lives are different. We'll have some overlap and some um, togetherness, but um, my choices and my thoughts are specific to this expression in this world. This is just an example. So in my life, what are probably the top three things that are most important to me as an expression of this infinite consciousness the first one is my own spiritual practice my own spiritual practice my meditation my exploration of higher states of consciousness in that meditation my study of the yoga sutras and the bhagavad-gita the holy science um ramana maharshi's talks uh that is that is of prime importance to me which means when i'm thinking I'm usually thinking about something like that. When I'm doing something, I'm usually doing something related to that. That is my first and prime intention for this life. What is my second intention for this life? My second intention for this life is to be as best as I can, uh, a clear and effective representative of this Kriya Yoga tradition as a teacher of meditation, as a teacher of philosophy, Now that is my vocation. That is my career. So if you're taking notes here, ideally you want to have the same goal I do with number one, which is the the spiritual goal. Number two is your work in the world, your, your career, your vocation. What do you do? And it, it's going to be different for all of us. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with anything that you do, because if it wasn't for the computer technicians that have come around the world, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. So they are valuable also spiritually speaking, because we are benefiting spiritually from it. The people who invented light bulbs. Well, that is important. Why? Because otherwise we would not have lighting. We would not be able, you would not be able to see me, or you would not be able to see others to read and so on. So I, I say that just so you recognize that, um, When it comes to career, you don't have to make the hard shift to say, well, it must be spiritual. It's all spiritual. It's all spiritual. Some of us just have different roles than others. Um, So those are my first two priorities, which means that when I make choices throughout the day, um, I tend to make choices that support those things. I tend to avoid choices that don't support those things as clear straightforward as that. Now I have a third thing that I'm very interested in. Uh, the third thing that I'm very interested in is music. I love music. I like playing music. I love thinking about music. I love um, I just love music. And so if after I've attended to part one and part two and I've got time left over What's the next thing you're going to know that I'm probably going to do? I'm probably going to be picking up a musical instrument. I'm probably going to be reading something about music. I'm probably going to be listening to music. That's what's going to happen. But these other things come first. You see, I, I have it set up in like a hierarchy as well. Now, I also enjoy things like good relationships with people. I also enjoy cooking. I also enjoy gardening. Um, I enjoy going for hikes. I enjoy exercise. I enjoy all these things, and they are priorities in my life. And I do write them all down, but they come a little bit later on. Now, they all support what I've been talking about. How is that? Well, exercising regularly keeps me as healthy as I can be, so I have the energy and the drive and the um, ability to do uh, classes to write, to meditate well. So those things help, they contribute to it. Um, Things like music or hobbies, they also contribute to the well-being of the other two things. If you love dance, if you love gardening, if you love music, if you love puzzles, uh, anything that, that, that has this kind of creative or problem-solving or curious capacity, that is developing your brain and your nervous system. There's a reason that um, in some cultures, dance is considered sacred. Art is considered sacred. It's really sad in our current, uh, uh, in our current era that the arts are not as valued as they need to be because they also contribute to the human organism's capacity to process higher states of consciousness, walking in nature, walking in the woods does that as well. So there are all these things that can contribute to our greater um, purpose, to our greater understanding. And we have to be willing to accept that and trust that it is also spirit. Um. You know, again, another example from my life. I remember when I was younger, and when I discovered Kriya Yoga and Ayurveda and Jodish astrology and all these things, I became an India file, an India file, a lover of all things Indian. Which means now I'm buying the incense, I'm wearing the Rudraksha beads, I, I'm I'm thinking you have to speak in Sanskrit, I have to learn, you know, everything had to be Indian. Uh, And it didn't have to be that way. I I was a musician. I loved rock and roll music. I loved Irish music and these types of things. But now that I'm a Yogi, I thought to myself, again, this is when I was younger. Well, I can't be playing. uh, I can't be playing rock and roll. I can't be playing Irish music because it should be spiritual. So I guess I should learn to do some chants. And I got into it. I do like chanting, by the way. Um, But my heart wasn't fully into it, really, because what I wanted to do was turn the volume up on my amplifier a little bit more and get a drummer behind me and really get into it. I have had more, I've had many more spiritual experiences playing loud rock and roll than I ever have sitting around with my acoustic guitar uh, singing to the divine mother. That's me. And the reason this is okay is because we have to remember everything is an expression of spirit. It just depends on how you look at it perceive it experience it really if you know that um, a certain hobby is is bringing joy into your life and and in creative expression you know that that's, that's that is a spirit working through you So, if you want to be a loud drummer, and to you, that's the power of God flowing through you, every time you play drums and you feel that power of God flowing through you, that's better than forcing yourself to sit down with an acoustic guitar and sing Sri Ram Jai Ram because you're being authentic. You're being true to yourself and you're also being true to the expression of spirit through you. So, this is one thing I I want to share with you as important. Um, You don't have to act a certain way, you don't have to force yourself to be a certain way. You have to be disciplined and you do have to follow yogic uh, procedures to experience higher states of consciousness regularly. But as far as you as a personality, you don't have to change your name to an Indian name. You don't have to pretend like you like soft, quiet music when really you'd love to turn on some um, Black Sabbath or um, Metallica and go to town. You can, you can get into that. Um, now, the danger is, you don't want to get distracted by it. So you see, uh, living the yogic lifestyle in this authentic way does require walking a razor's edge for a lot of people because many people who come to spirituality and meditation and yoga, um, they're working some things out psychologically. Uh, That's common. That's why people who go to self-help seminars or things like that Oftentimes, there's some stuff they have to work through because they want to improve, because they want to change, because they want self-awareness. So we do have to be cautious of um, saying, oh, well, Ryan said I can do all this stuff, and it's all God anyway, so what's it matter? Well, I'm not saying that. (laughs) Uh, There has to be a self-awareness about it. You don't want to lose yourself in obsessions or addictions, which many of us do in hobbies, um, and say that it's spiritual, so it's okay. We have to remember there has to be a hierarchy of expression there, and you have to know where your daily activities fall within that hierarchy of expression. But ultimately, I really want to encourage you to be as authentically you an expression of spirit as is possible, and to be okay with that, to not have to defend it to other people, to not have to describe it to other people, to just be it, to just allow it and accept that. And oftentimes what you'll find is that then your your spiritual practice, your meditation becomes so much easier, so much deeper, quicker, because all that energy you were using to hold up a facade or to be what you thought someone wanted you to be All that energy is free now, which means now there is almost like a little dynamo inside you, which feels clearer, feels more settled. So when you sit to meditate, it's much easier to settle into a clearer state. So I'm glad we had a chance to take some time um, to speak to that. Now, again, um, I always have to follow up because I know how people think or can think. If you love chanting, if you love all of the traditional spiritual yogic stuff, and you really love it, it's what you are, by all means, knock yourself out. It's always about what is the authentic interest that you have, and can you learn to accept that as an expression of the infinite? Now, in this first section... Um, One of the things we have to cover is the spiritual process of intention setting, the spiritual process of intention setting. And this is really very easy and you probably already have the skills to do it. You just have to make it um, a regular habit for you. So what is the spiritual process of intention setting? The first thing to do is to sit down and meditate. So what is step one of the spiritual process of intention setting? Sit down and meditate. So you can write this down if you like. Now, once you... Once you have sat down and meditated, you have to recognize why. Why are you meditating for this process? Well, the reason you sit down and meditate is because you have to learn to calm the waves of your mind and your emotions. You have to learn to calm the waves of your mind and your emotions because you your, your nervous system, your body, your energetic system is like an antenna that sends, you know signals or electricity out into space and uh, accepts electricity and energy into space. It's like an antenna. And if your mind and your emotions are erratic, well then that, that frequency is erratic. That antenna, the ability to receive and send information is erratic, which is why most people's lives are erratic. <laughs> That's, that's the simple reason why most people's lives are erratic, because the frequencies that are going on, it's like one thought says this, another thought says this, an emotion comes up and it makes you feel this way. Then a counter emotion comes up and it makes it go the opposite way. And so it's just like a big ball of energy, just not really going anywhere, just making static. So the first step is sitting down to meditate for the purpose of calming the mind and the emotions. Now, this is just simply the purpose of Yoga. Because if you remember the first sutras in the yoga sutras, um, yoga, chitta vritti, nirodha. yoga is the, the calming, the stilling of the fluctuations within the consciousness, the chitta, the mind stuff, however you want to interpret it or translate it. So anytime we do this, we are practicing yoga. And as you let all that stuff settle down, you become more aware of yourself as eternal, infinite spirit. And as you become aware of yourself as eternal, infinite spirit, your conscious thoughts become like choices. Remember all those opportunities we spoke about, Uh, those possibilities that we spoke about? Well, the more that you are able to get calm. Then when you decide to make an intention or to think something or make a choice, there is strength behind it. There's, there's a power behind it. And that's why people who sit there and think to themselves, you know, I'm going to be uh, a successful businessman consistently over and over and over again, or a woman or whatever gender you may be. They find in 10, 20 years, they are because they've had this empowered thought to that direction. People who sit there and, and accept, I know I'm infinite spirit. I know that I can realize what all these yogis that I have read about realize. When you know and you feel that deep inside, well, in 10, 20, 30 years, you start to read yogic literature and you understand what it says because you have held, you have held that, um, that intention, that focus, from a place of calmness, of serenity, of stillness. So learning, training yourself to become calm and clear and let go of all the distractions is the first step. Let, And the key there is letting go of all the distractions. And This brings us back to the idea of the... Um, the yamas and the niyamas, because what's another important yama or niyama Mm -hmm. aside from brahmacharya, Mm -hmm. but non-attachment, letting go of attachment. So step two, after you sit down and meditate and you are able through your pranayama or mantra or whatever works for you, you're able to access as best you can a calm, clear state, well, then you can move on to state or section number two, part number two of this Um, spiritual process of intention setting, which is letting go of distractions or practicing non-attachment. So what does this look like? This looks like you're going to take 10 to 15 minutes. And you're going to do alternate nostril breathing. You're going to do Kriya Pranayama. You're going to do mantra. Bringing your awareness within. Now, this is not a class on teaching you how to meditate. There are plenty of opportunities for that on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Yoga online, in my books. You probably know how to meditate because you've learned it from someone else. Uh, there, you have other opportunities. So you figuring out how to meditate, that's from another time. We're assuming you already understand that. Um, But now, once you've gone through those techniques, what do you have to do? Well, now you have to let go of distractions. And this is where uh, it gets really interesting. Because many people think, well, I've done my pranayama, I've done my mantra, but my mind is still going. Now, it's not everyone. Some people, they do the pranayama, they do the mantra, and and they do easily sink into calmness. But let's say you're like most people and you do it and you're, you're, well, I'm, I'm still concerned about this. I'm still thinking about that. Well, this is where you have to participate because meditation and this process is not a passive process. Just like anyone who's accomplished anything in life hasn't typically done it passively. Sure, sometimes dumb luck comes along, but most people who are accomplished are accomplished for a reason. Um, I recently saw a post from one of my musician friends that said, I forget who the, um, the the violinist they were talking about, but this person is a accomplished professional top of their uh, top of skill set violinist. Do you want to be like this type, this violinist? Oh, well, all you have to do is commit five hours a day to practicing diligently and with attention, um, learn all these sweets and all these partitas and all this. And in 20 years, you will be just as good as this violinist. And that's how it works. This is how this works too. So the amount of time and energy we put into it will, will demonstrate how well we, we pull it off. So now you've meditated. Now you have to let go of distractions. How do you do it? You have to find a way that works for you. Um, I remember a story that Mr. Davis always used to teach or tell during, um, times on retreat. He said, there was this student who uh, wanted to learn meditation and he would go to the guru and he would always say, please, please initiate me into a mantra. Please give me the sacred mantra. And the guru would always wave him away and say, you're not ready, you know, get out of here, go back to work. And this student would pester this guru consistently and on and on until finally years went by and the guru was exasperated. He said, fine, you want me to initiate you into a mantra?" show up at the temple tomorrow at 6 a.m. And I will initiate you into the mantra. And the student is so thrilled, so happy because his persistence has finally paid off. He's finally proven to God that he, he is ready. And so the guru has accepted him and, um, He stays up all night because he doesn't want to miss the time. He doesn't want to oversleep. And it's 5 a.m. And he thinks to himself, did the guru say 5 a.m. or 6 a.m.? Well, I I better go to the temple because I don't want to be late. So he gets there at 5.15 and the guru is nowhere to be found. He thinks, oh, maybe did I miss it? I don't know what's going on. So he goes to the guru's house. And this is the days when gurus have servants and whatnot. And he knocks on the door, and it's five thirty. And the, the servant opens the door and says, "Yes, can I help you?" And the student says, uh, "Let me in. I need to see Guruji. He's supposed to initiate me into a mantra." He says, "Guruji's in the bathroom getting ready." He says, "Go away." And um, the student says, "Out of my way, woman!" And he 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 bur- bursts into the door and runs to the bathroom, and he says, Guruji, Guruji, I'm here to, to get my mantra, and is washing his face, and he looks over, and he says, get out, get out before I smack you upside the head, and the student says, oh, thank you, Guruji, and he bows, and he walks away, and the guru goes to the temple at 6 a.m., and the student doesn't show up. Months go by, he doesn't hear from the student, and one day, he's walking down the street, and he sees the student, the student is serene, and just looks as though he has been touched by God, and uh, the guru says, why didn't you show up at the, the appointed time? Uh, the student says, oh, well, you gave me the mantra. He says, gave you the mantra? I says, what do you mean? He says, yes. Every time a thought comes into my mind, I say, get out, get out, before I smack you upside the head again. And by doing that, he attained inner stillness and clarity. So that's one way you can do it. Um, how do I do it? Well, I take stock of what's going on in my mind? What am I thinking about? I look at it just so I know. So I'm conscious of it. So I bring it into awareness I don't fight it. Okay. Well, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that class I have to teach. I'm thinking about that bill I have to pay. I'm thinking about, am I going to get that refund that I, uh, I'm supposed to be getting? Um, is my garden going to grow? Uh, do I need to change the tires on my car? Just examples. These things come up. Well, I look at them all. And once I get a general idea of what they are, I just start saying, no, stop. Not now. No, stop. Not now. Because I know that those things aren't important. There's nothing I can do about my tires right now. There's nothing I can do about whether my tomato plants are growing. There's nothing I can do about whether I am going to get that refund. There's nothing I can do about that class right now because the time I'm in is meditation. So I have found that myself personally, when I look at them, I see them and I just say, I can't do anything about it. Get out. Now that took some practice. It didn't happen immediately. It took a lot of work to trust that I could just say, no, not right now. But in time, I gain the skill to be able to do that. Other things that help me and have helped others is when there are a lot of distracting thoughts, I do more deep pranayama. I, I, I do it more vigorously. I really get into it. And there are multiple types of pranayama that you can explore that will help you in that regard. So, what I'm telling you is, I don't have the answer for you, I can give you some ideas. But you have to find whatever it takes for you to clear out all those thoughts, to just be able to sit there. And sometimes all the thoughts persist, and the best you can do is just not pay attention to them. And that's okay, too. That works just as well, because in time, they'll leave you alone. But this step you have to follow. So meditate, and then you have to learn to let go and practice non-attachment. Now, once you've done that, then we have to consider step number three. So step number three in the spiritual process of intention setting, what do you do now? Well, now what you have to do is be curious about the intention that you want to set. So be curious about the intention. be curious about the intention. And what does that look like? Okay. Well, let's say that this year uh, I want to lead uh, two to three in-person retreats for all those students who want to go to retreats. What do I have to do? I've meditated. I'm calm. I've let go of uh, expectations and um, attachments. And so now I'm just curious, well, what would it be like if, if I could do that? What would what would it be like? And in my mind, I start to imagine it. I start to see a room full of people learning eagerly. I start to see people meditating deeply. All right, I get that. That's a very broad experience. Well, I got to be a little more curious. Well, how can that happen? Well, now I have to find some retreat centers that I need to contact. So my mind goes, to all right, what potential retreat centers are there? And then, then it'll go to uh, signing contracts to reserve rooms. And then it'll go to um, sending out announcements to people so they know that it's happening. To it, it goes on. So I'm curious about what would be required, what would it be like if I was going to actually accomplish that? And I try in that, in that experience to be as broad at first but then down to the details and to be okay with the details. So for example, if uh, I had the intention of um, hosting uh, two to three retreats a year, and in my mind, I can see people showing up and I can see uh, people deep in meditation and I can feel myself being there, enjoying it with them, participating in this with them. But then I start to go to finding retreat centers, or, you know, uh, doing the, the, the secretarial work to send out emails and to communicate and go visit retreat centers. And when I start getting to those like little nitty gritty details and I start like shrinking a little inside, like, Oh, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to, you know, open up a bank account to, to, to hold money for the deposit. And I don't want to have to, um, let people know by creating flyers or sending out, um, newsletters. If I, if I start getting into the nitty gritty details and I start kind of crumbling inside, well, I know right there, I got to work on that. So I start being curious. Okay. What would it be like just to do that? Just freely do it because that is required to make this bigger picture thing happen. And so, uh, when you're, when you're being curious, you start big, you start big, And then you also start contemplating, well, what actually is required, the little puzzle pieces need to go together to make that happen. Now, it may be that during this part of the process, you recognize you don't have all the puzzle pieces, which means you don't actually know how to make that bigger picture thing happen. So that means that after you're done with this process, as we get through it, well, now you're going to have to start doing some research in in the, the physical world how to make it work. Who do I need to talk to? Who's done this before? So part of part of of intention setting is not just visualizing and feeling good about it. It's also recognizing you're going to have to do some, some leg work with it too. Now this can be applicable, not just to things like that. For me, I use it uh, for health related things. I use it for creative things. Um, For health related things, you know, I've had a few health issues, um, over the last few years? And how did I approach this kind of process? Well, I decided uh, that I was going to sit down and imagine one one example in particular, which is just a, a stupid thing that I kind of did to myself. Um, I, I like to do uh, some sports every now and then. And um, many of you know, a few of you know, uh, a few years ago, I was in a sports situation where I got tackled by someone probably two to three times my weight, which crushed my foot. And I couldn't walk for a while and I didn't have health insurance at the time. So I didn't go to the doctor. So I just limped a lot. Um, But there came a point in time where I thought, you know what, I got to do something about this. So part of my intention, which actually did this past January, not this January, but this past January is I thought to myself, um, what would it be like if I could walk five miles with no pain like I used to, what would it be like if I could hike, if I could do all this stuff easily? And I was just contemplating. I was seeing it in my mind. I was imagining it. What would I feel like? What would it be like? And then I started thinking, what do I need to do to do that? I just held the, the curious intention there. And, um, it's funny how it works because whereas after that injury for a few years, every step I took was painful. After I did this process, it's like, I saw opportunities that helped me get better. And it, it was just natural. I, I actually had to look back and recognize, Oh, this fell into place. That fell into place that fell into place. And halfway through the year, I had to laugh because I was on in the middle of a five mile hike with no problem. Um, I was doing these exercises that I couldn't do previously with no problem. Same thing is true with creative things. When it comes to learning music for me, I sit down and I think, what would it be like if I could accomplish that? If I could play that, if I could experience that, and I'm curious about it. And, 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 and I find that by doing that, it draws me to the right people, to the right situations, if it's possible, because it's not always possible, but if it's possible to have that experience. So you can use this process with anything, really. So you want to be curious. Now, what is the next step that you want to um, look at? So the next step, aside from being curious, is um, becoming okay, with the feeling of success, becoming okay with the feeling of success. And because you're going to find this, well, some of you are going to find this to be the case. It's common uh, with humans, as far as I know. Um, let's see, if I don't want to share it. I stopped sharing. Okay, hopefully I did. Um, you want to be okay with a feeling of success, because how many of you when you think about your intentions and something you really want to do, and you're, you've, you've meditated, you've been curious about it, but you almost feel guilty about having it happen. And who knows why? And we're not going to get into all those reasons. Talk to your psychologist about that, because there's if, if there's a reason, a human probably has it. Um, we're not going to get caught up in the reasons. But you might feel guilty about achieving it. You might feel um, that it's not possible that you don't have the capacity that it's not right who knows it can all kinds of things so what you have to do is imagine what it would be like if you were successful if it had already happened and then notice all those little things that to me they almost feel like little dangling uh drains like they're just draining you of energy from it and you have to say all right yeah, maybe I feel guilty about being successful in that way when there's so much suffering in the world. Maybe I feel guilty about being more spiritually aware when half the people I know can't understand the first paragraph of the Bhagavad Gita. Maybe I feel it goes on and on. But you have to acknowledge that and just decide, it's okay, I'm going to feel good about it. I'm going to feel strong that this is possible. This is almost feel happy about it, like jubilant, uh, um, joyous about, yeah, I pulled that off. And the way I relate to that is um, when you have accomplished something that was tough, and you looked back and you're like, "Well, that was great. You know, I feel so good that I, I actually did that. You know, meditating for thirty days straight, um, eating right for a period of time, doing an exercise, running a race, you, you got to find something to challenge yourself, and that might be your first step is learning to challenge yourself. But remember that sense of accomplishment, and as you move into this process of intention setting, after you're curious, start imagining, feeling, yeah, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad it was possible. And at this point, you're not caught up in the nitty gritty details. You know, you're not caught up in, if you're trying to accomplish something musically about all the scales you have to learn or the hours of practice it takes, you're just focused on the, the, uh, the end feeling, the end experience of it, the end feeling or the end experience of it. Um, and you're feeling okay about it. And this isn't easy for a lot of people, but this is also part of the yogic path because you're training yourself how to direct your consciousness. Do you want your consciousness to be constantly snagged and pulled down by feelings of impossibility? Well, you can do that if you want. Or do you want to practice focusing your consciousness so that you can hold it in a state of joy and possibility and opportunity and optimism? This is part of the yoga sutras, by the way. This is part of Patanjali's yoga. Um, Because in order to experience samadhi, oneness, consciousness, you have to learn to hold it in one spot. And so why not use this process of intention setting to strengthen your capacity to experience samadhi? Because that, that ability that you have to accept, yes, this feels good to be accomplished in this. And you you get pulled off, you feel the snag, but you pull it back up. Nope. I'm going to feel good about it. The more you do it, then it becomes natural. And then you've trained yourself to hold your consciousness in a naturally clear space, which means even in your, your, what you might call your spiritual meditations, you're going to be able to use that same skill there as well. So uh, this living in harmony with your intentions and learning to set intentions and to move forward is, is good in this material world just as much as it is in your spiritual world because the mechanisms that make success happen in either of those worlds, they're not separate. Remember, it's just language that I'm using, uh, is the same. Um, so you have to learn to become comfortable in it. Um, when I first began teaching and when I first began performing as a musician, I was nervous, uh, you know, I, I had this weight of I'm a representative of this Kriya Yoga tradition. Well, I better do a darn good job? And I was nervous and I did my best. Uh, but as the years went by, I recognized this is just what I do. So I I accepted the the ability and I do it to the best of my ability. When it comes to music, the same thing. I used to get nervous about performing. Now, I don't care. You give me a guitar, give me a hurdy-gurdy, give me a mandolin. If I can do it, throw me up on stage. I'm just as comfortable there as I am here talking to you because I've practiced feeling comfortable in those roles of success and those roles of of, um, positive potential, I guess you could say. And if I mess up, I mess up. Who cares? No big deal. The world's not going to end. Um, but I know I did my best. So now let's move on to another stage because we're gonna have to take a break here in a minute to give you a moment to think. Um, Share the screen again. So we've talked about first sitting down, meditating. Two, letting go of distractions, practicing non-attachment. Three, being curious uh, about the intention. And four, becoming okay with the feeling of success. So now what do you do? now you plan plan and brainstorm now is the time that you definitely get out your piece of paper or your word document here and you you decide this is my intention this is what i want to experience and you write it down and underneath that you start anything that comes to mind that you might possibly need to do um, to be successful. So now you start writing, okay, uh, I want to get in better shape. I want to eat better. All right. Well, now I need to research. Um, what's a, what's a healthy diet or w- based on my, uh, level of fitness right now, what would be a good, what would be a good practices to start at walking a mile maybe, or, um, Lifting five pound weights a couple times a day, you have to start doing the research and writing down all the ideas that they could possibly contribute to success in this situation. And then once you have uh, your brainstorm done, then what you need to do is the final step in this process. Take action. And what I do when it comes to an intention that I have set is I usually, at the beginning of the year, I don't go nuts and write like 20 intentions. I usually write maybe three or four, three or four intentions. Oftentimes one will relate to improving uh, my physical or mental well-being in a certain way. Another one will relate to... Um, uh, improving my, my mental emotional well-being. Then there'll be like a, a career intention or a vocational intention. And then there will be a creative intention because I like to do creative things. And I have three or four of those and I will have brainstormed them all out. And I I keep a journal or I keep them on a piece of paper. Um, this is this is not one of those, but this is an example of what they look like. I just grab random sheets of paper. And I just start writing stuff down and I've got them everywhere, you know, in my desk here, at my desk at home. I can't go anywhere without, what do I need to do? Well, here's some intentions that you talked about. And I just look at it and I pick one and I go to town. So I keep them somewhere where I can see them. And then when the day begins, I look at them and I ask myself, what can I do? What, what one thing, what one thing can I do today that will contribute to success in in these things. And I don't stress out about it. I don't think it has to be done by a certain time. I might set deadlines, but I don't don't stress out about it because I know that I'm going to look at it and I'm going to say, all right. I've decided I want to feel better physically, so I'm going to try to walk three miles today. I I, I know I'm going to do that. Lunchtime comes around. I take a break from podcasting or playing some music if I'm just taking a day off, and I go for a three-mile walk. I know I'm going to do it. As I've told myself I'm going to, because I have that discipline from my yogic uh, training. And every day I look at that, well, what can I do today? If uh, I'm writing a book, okay, well, today I know that I can sit down and I can work on three pages of that book. And what happens is every time I do that, and I do a little bit more each day, by the time I get to the end of the year, I am 75 to 100% closer to realizing that than I was if i had never gone through this process at all. And I've learned over the years to be relaxed about it. Now I am relaxed about it because I do have, um, my experience with yogic training and discipline, which means I know I'm going to do it because I have years of doing, of, of doing what I say I'm going to do. Um, so if you aren't that way, if you're a procrastinator, if, um, it's just easy for you to get distracted. Probably you have to take a look at that first and decide. <laughs> the first step might be deciding to be more disciplined or to quit procrastinating. And um, one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned has come by uh, working on an old house. Um, I don't know anything about woodwork or electrical or wiring or plumbing, I'm, I'm better with cars. Uh, I'm not even that good with cars, but I don't know anything about fixing drywall or placing sinks, but luckily I have a few people in my, my life who are and, um, living in an old house. Now there's a lot that needs done. <laughs> so when I'm not doing podcasts or planning many times, I'm fixing a chimney or up on a roof or, um, trying to clear some brush because it needs done but one of the greatest experiences I had was having an old house to work on because there was all this stuff that was overwhelming to me. Even after my years of of discipline and doing what I said I'm going to be doing, this was a whole other genre of experience. And um, my dad would come over and he knows how to build houses and all that. He would say, well, before we get started, you need to do this, this, and this, things I could easily do. And I would look at them and I would drag my feet, say, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to rip out that insulation. I don't want to dig that pipe out. This is going to take forever. And every single time I was given a chore like that on my own house uh, by my father, because he would help me fix it, or one of my friends would come over and help me do some work. Um, when, When I would drag my feet and weeks would go by, and finally... I said, you know what? I don't care how long it's going to take. I'm just going to go do it. I'm just going to go rip off that insulation. I'm just going to dig up that pipe. I'm going to clean out the basement so we can uh, get to these wires. And every single time I did that, I thought it was going to take a day or hours to do this. And I didn't want to do it. Um, But every single time I would get started, 20 minutes later, I'm done. This ditch I had to dig, thought it was going to take forever. 20 minutes later, I'm done. This insulation I had to rip out, 20 minutes later, I'm done. I thought to myself, that is so funny because I've been torturing myself about how this needs to get done, but I don't want to do it. And by the time I got started, I was done. And I found that over and over again and again in life with anything, whether it's writing a book, whether it's planning a class, whether it's learning a new song, if you just get started, if you can just ignore that voice in your head that's making you procrastinate, quit listening to it, do whatever it takes To turn that off, drink a cup of coffee if you have to. I don't care. Learn to start getting beyond that voice that drags you back and just get started on your list. Get started. Try doing one thing a day that will contribute, and you will find in less time than you imagined, you will probably achieve uh, these goals. Now, remember, I want to encourage you to choose things which are enhancing to your life if you barely have enough money to pay your bills um, and uh, you want to go travel Europe, okay, you can try. But what I would probably recommend doing is taking care of the resource management first. Once you get that under control, you can work on these other things that are, are a little more uh, uh, not necessarily so necessary for you. Um, so you, you have to learn to prioritize those kinds of things. Um, so if I'm talking to someone and I I think they need to be more more creative in their life and they can barely make ends meet, am I going to tell them to go buy a new guitar and start taking lessons with a teacher? No, I'm not. It might be good for them later on, but right now I might say, get your resources in order. And then when you have some extra money, um, and you can put it towards expanding your consciousness through creative endeavors, then do that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be that way with everything, and and I am that way with me. Um, Early on in life, I did not have. uh, I was not very well off. Um, I made very little money. I lived way below my means, and because I lived way below my means, I was able to save money. I was able to make it so that I could buy a decent musical instrument. I could travel somewhere, but that all came by living way below my means and doing these very basic things to make that possible rather than trying to use this process to make magic happen. And you will find that uh, magic does sometimes happen. We don't know how it just does, but sitting around waiting for grace or sitting around waiting for magic to happen, you're going to waste a heck of a lot of time versus if you would just get to work, you you will find that you make your own magic and you're able to tap more into these opportunities. Now, all the stuff that we're talking about here applies not just to worthwhile goals for you. And you have to figure out what's worthwhile for you. Um, You have to figure that out for yourself. But the, the main principle that I follow is, does it get in the way of my spiritual practice? If it gets in the way of my spiritual practice, I don't do it. If it does not get in the way of my spiritual practice, I'm okay with it. Now that also indicates that there might come a time when your spiritual practice is so strong that nothing gets in the way of it. So you can do what you want. But that's the, the baseline. Is this getting the way of my spiritual practice? And you can also um, you can also use this process for your spiritual practice. Let me see, maybe I'm jumping ahead. Let me check my syllabus here. No, we're not jumping ahead. So we'll go a little bit further, then we'll take a, a break so you can get some tea or stretch or um, refresh yourself however you need to. So you could and you should do this with your spiritual practice, which means when you first sit down to meditate, do it to calm your mind and to settle your emotions, whatever it takes. You might need to do some lifestyle changes to also contribute to that. But that's, again, for another thing. Um You let go of your distractions. You let go of everything that you possibly can. However, you you need to be engaged, be awake, be active as you let go of those things. Don't just think, oh, I'm going to settle into a semi-conscious state and that's all I need to do. No, get that out of your head. This is an active process. Spirituality is an active process. You want to be curious about your intention to wake up. What would it be like to be fully awake? to know myself as infinite spirit, to know and understand these spiritual texts, and then becoming okay, feeling, feeling like you're a success with it. It can be okay for you to be spiritually free, to, to feel spiritually free, even though everyone else in the world is suffering. You, know, you don't get points for suffering with them. You know, there's a difference between compassion and being stupid. And the clearer you are, you understand the difference. Um, but what would it be like if you were spiritually free? And can you accept that? Imagine it, be curious about it. What would it be like? How would you feel? And feel okay with being successful with it. And then again, you might need to plan and brainstorm. Well, what do I need to do differently so that I, I, I increase the intensity of my practice? Do I need to read a little bit more? Do I need to do a little less distracting things in the world? Do I need to set aside it one day a week to not talk, to just be focused on going for walks in nature, being internalized? And then plan and brainstorm and take action, start doing it. If you apply this to your um, spiritual life, your spiritual life will become alive, will become alive. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Take about... 10 minutes once we, once I stop talking, and if you need to walk around, stretch, go get some tea, whatever you need to do, do that. But also start thinking about three things, three intentions that you want to set for this year. Try to make one uh, spiritual, a spiritual intention that you want to set. Try to make one related to your work in the world, your contribution to the world, your experience within the world. And then try to make a third one about uh, improving your well-being. So let's set three intentions. One spiritual, one about your work in the world, and one about your well-being. And after you get your tea and after you do your stretching, I write these things down so you'll have them in front of you. So we'll take a quick break. and We'll be back in about 10 minutes, um, and we'll start up with section two. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.